This is Catalog and Cocktails. Hello, everyone. We're live. It's time for Catalog and Cocktails. It's your honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management. I'm Tim Gasper, product guy and data nerd, joined by Juan Cicada. Hey, Tim, I'm Juan Cicada. I'm the principal scientist here at Data.World, and it's Wednesday, middle of the week, end of the day, close to end of the day, uh, and always a pleasure. I am so lucky that we get to have our pause and chat about data. I'm lucky that Data.World lets us keep doing this as part of our day job, so thank you, Data.World. And, data and uh, drinks. Data and drinks. And today we have a guest, a very special guest who has, I would say, impacted the lives of all developers nowadays because some of the stuff that he has created, I hear it probably multiple times every day. And that is Nick Schrock, who is the founder of Elemental, the creator of Daxter, and also of GraphQL. Uh, Nick, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the kind words. Yeah. So let's get into some of the important stuff first. Uh, what are we drinking and what are we toasting for? So I'm a simple man and I have, uh, I have a beer. It is a Melvin Juicy Theorem IPA. Uh, that's not sponsorship. That's just a passion product. No, I'm, a hazy, I'm in a hazy IPA phase. So here we are. Uh, yeah. And I guess I'm just toasting to the health of my newborn son and my wife i you know i used to scoff at people who kind of did this before i had kids but now you know now i'm one of those people but you know we had a challenging uh, pregnancy and childbirth he was born early only five pounds seven ounces and now he's a big chunky boy uh he's huge now so it's been quite the reversal so i'm toasting to his health and the and uh yeah very yeah. very great very grateful for that that is awesome. Congratulations. I'm glad everything's going uh, going well and, and he's a big chunky baby. Hopefully it keeps growing growing. <laughs> yeah. How about you? How about you, Tim? What are you uh, well for well, I'll tell you what I'm drinking and I'll tell you what I'm choosing too. So uh, I'm drinking actually the first of what is the I don't know if that's gonna show up well on the camera here with the glare, uh, of the twenty-five days of whiskey, which is a little fun tradition that we do at Data.World. The first whiskey is uh, Angel's Envy. Uh, so going to give that a try. Uh, and uh, I want to cheers, uh, first of all, to, you know, family health. That is always key. And so really great to hear, Nick, that things are going well for you all there. Uh, and I will also actually cheers to Dagster. And I have not also been paid to say that, but we're actually implementing Dagster over at Data.World. And I know that we love it so far. Um, there's a ton of excitement in the community around Dagster. So thanks for, thanks for bringing that capability to market. Very, very cool stuff. Well, we're, we're, we're supposed to be non-salesy here, but I think we're all... <laughs> it's community, though. It's community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. community. That's true. It's not though. sales, it's community. That's great. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Data.world, too, is also we have a big community uh, around it, too. So um, I, I'm drinking I, a Mexican. I'm calling it a Mexican old-fashioned. Uh, I had some agave, and there was some mezcal, and I had some red bitters, and that's why it's kind of reddish in here. So it's actually really, really nice. And I'm going to go with you. Cheers on family. Came out this uh, holiday weekend, spent time with my whole family and my brother who has a newborn, and it was just cool to get everybody together and the same roof. So anyways, cheers to family. Cheers. Cheers. So we got our, our warm-up question here, which is, describe your reaction upon glancing at Matt Turk's latest data landscape diagram. And I think it's going to show up right here. <laughs> um, 
what's your reaction, Nick, once you see this? <laughs> I guess my first reaction is uh, putting my mind in a in the standpoint of a company trying to buy you know stuff from vendors and the abject terror and confusion that must result in that. I mean, it is a kaleidoscopic and fractured and it's just total madness. It's total madness. I'm I'm totally with you. Like my my reaction is oh my god, really? Because I've been collecting these. I've give I, I have some I have a talk that I give where I'm showing how this increases, right? And he's been doing it for five, six years now. And it's like, well, the first time it came up, it was like, well, it made sense. And then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and, and, and more complicated, more boxes, more logos are repeated. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> another reaction oh. that is kind of cool there's so many people you know taking their shots this week and there's so much activity and interest in the space and you know behind each of these logos there's like a story of some founder or some group of people who's trying to make their stake in the world so on that on that aspect i think it's pretty cool um <clears throat> Yeah, everybody trying to put their dent in the universe in their in their particular area, right? Whatever that might be. Totally. Um, you know, one thing I'll add is uh, is that uh, one thought I have is like, I wonder how many of these, and I haven't actually looked, so I don't know. I wonder how many of these logos are duplicates, right? Like, for example, I know, for example, like Data.World shows up in two columns here, right? Like, how many, like, in, like Informatica probably shows up in 45 columns, right? Like, you know, <laughs> it's that kind of thing, right? Um, you know, I wonder about that. And, and the, the reason why I bring that up is like, man, our space is not only like complicated and fractured, but highly overlapping, right? Which, which is a good segue to the conversation we want to have here today. So let's, let's dive into this conversation. And I like to kick it off with this, with an honest, the honest, no BS question. So when we hear about the modern data stack, right, the first thing that comes to mind is a list of technologies, a growing list of technologies that we just see here, right? And all cloud-based and there's storage, there's open source, there's low code, no code, there's ETL, ETL ELT, transform, reverse ETL analytics, blah, right? So honest, no BS, is the modern data stack just that, a bunch of technologies? Or is there also like some methodology around it to understand what technologies are needed and how to piece all this together? So the modern, well, I would describe it as an emotional state. No, um, <laughs> the, uh, I actually think it, it started out as a stack of technologies, but it is a methodology and a mindset. And the way I frame it in my head is that we're effectively rebuilding data infrastructure from the ground up in the cloud era, and also what I'll call the modern era. Modern being defined as like every enterprise in the universe has complex data needs. They're ingesting from all sorts of SaaS services and being able to effectively use data as kind of a base level, level capability and expectation. So what does that mean? One is that the cloud data warehouse, or maybe a little lake house, we can get to that, but some sort of centralized store like that is kind of the center of a company's data universe. Um, they use and bias toward using managed services and that there's this software engineering mindset when it comes to data. I think that's a really interesting thing to dig into because I think there's a lot of misconceptions around that. So, you know, I think the, the short answer, I think the modern data stack started out as a like fairly narrow definition where it's like, okay, you choose a cloud data warehouse, you have DBT, an ingest tool, a BI tool, that's a modern data stack. But 
when people encounter the reality of the world, their needs expand and they grab for more tools. And, you know, like recently the modern data stack has expanded to include reverse ETL, right? For example. Um, and I think that kind of expansion is going to occur, which means it's not a, a static set of technologies. It's a mindset and a methodology about how to build data infrastructure and data platforms. Okay, so I, let's dig into kind of the, the technology part. You started doing this. Because um, I want to talk about technologies. I want to talk about methodologies. When it comes to technology, you said kind of it all started out with a cloud data warehouse, um, DBT, ingesting, which I would guess is the, the E and the L, right? Uh, and some analytics, right? So kind yeah. of these, these four things is kind of how it all started. And this is basically just we're reinventing ourselves. We need to go do things in the cloud. And I, and I always call it like the modern data stack is it's in the cloud and it has the fancier UIs. That's what makes it modern. That's my right. that's what honest no BS uh, definition there, which is, uh, I don't know, is, is that is uh, am I oversimplifying it too much or is that kind of, I don't know. Well, I think that the other thing, the other definition which resonated with me is I, I heard Ben Stansel describe this um, and he's one of the co-founders of mode and he's a prolific blogger he has this mm -hmm. serious like friday yeah. let's fight friday you know? let's fight yeah yeah he's the 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 blogging pugilist to use a fancy word but um he had the sense of like yeah what's modern data stack are like data products that would appear on product hunt you know it was like another way of describing it meaning like it's kind of like startupy. it's targeted towards like hipster data people you know was like kind of his definition uh well that's my that's my uh that, I love it. That's that's my editorial on top of it. Um, that means oh, there's more modern data stack in Austin and Portland for sure. For sure, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Microbreweries and uh, fancy UIs. Uh, here we come. The, uh, <clears throat> but uh, but yeah, no, I don't think it's just fancy UIs. I, I do think that this software engineering mindset is a is a critical part of the modern data stack. We can get into that. Okay, that that that's a key one. Okay. I want to dive into that, but let's. I want to keep extending. So we we start with these four: cloud data warehouse, DBT, ingest, analytics. How is this extending? So we, when you say it's not a static, it's so it's dynamic. Reverse ETL is something that we're seeing here. Where else is this extending? Where where is this going? And and part of it is how are is is it aligned to use cases? So for example, I got this type of use case. I'm going to go do. I'm going to go in one direction versus this other use case goes into this other direction where I would not need some tool or whatever. How are yeah, you? I, my the way I see it is that companies are building up their data infrastructure from scratch. They're cloud first, and they're they're answering the questions that you answer in order. Meaning that the first thing you do is that you count things, like understanding very bas basic metrics about your company or your enterprise. You know, how many users do we have? What is our revenue? Like basic business metrics. Um, and that's, and in order to answer that question, you can just answer that with ingest into a cloud data warehouse, DBT on top, BI, and you're done, right? In order to do this basic counting, but that's step one, not the final stage. So then it's like, oh, interesting. We've ingested our data from all our different sources. We want to re-inject that into those SaaS products so that you can surface the right information to uh, stakeholders in their native tool. Then you have reverse ETL. But then the people who build these data platforms, they naturally want to expand things. So maybe they want to build ML and experimentation platforms, right? It's very naturally adjacent. 
Because for instance, in ML, most of the work is ETL anyway, right? Most of the work is in the data processing. So there's natural bleeding between those two use cases. And then, you know, things just expand beyond the scope of only SQL computation in general. People need to write custom code to do lots of things. And they need to, you know, I must like, among our user base, I'm always kind of not shocked, but like it's continually interesting all the different use cases that people come up with where they scratch together data platforms. We're like, oh, we have these contractors. They need to insert this stuff into a Google Sheet. Then we need to write some code to do that. We need to match that up with our payroll system and on and on and on and on. So, you know, to me, the modern data stack is simply following the natural evolution of kind of what happens within a company when you're starting to expand. And then it's like, oh, we have so much data that we need to catalog it, right? And then you start looking at cataloging tools. Oh, there's enough stakeholders here and there's enough teams that we need to start doing data lineage. Um, you know, just kind of, there's a natural expansion as you invest more and have more capabilities in your data platform. And I think effectively what's happening in this modern data stack landscape is that people expand there that are grabbing for more tools to solve those problems that they absolutely need to solve. So even though, you know, we've started this conversation a little bit more from a technology perspective, and, and I'm sure we'll explore a little bit more there, you know, you're talking about use cases and a use case progression. You're also talking about sort of a maturity curve here, where as you enter in, maybe you're starting off more with descriptive analytics, and then you're moving into some more of the prescriptive things. You're trying to build data applications. Uh, you know, you're, you're trying, maybe you're now starting to roll this out to a bigger company. So now it's not just about one group in the company anymore. It's about how do we sort of federate, you know, our stack and federate our governance sort of elsewhere in the company. Um, you know, is it like, why, why do we keep on kind of coming back to the, like the diagram, the technologies though? Like, is it, does that kind of become a, an anchoring point where we can at least kind of talk about like the components as they grow or, you know, I'm, I'm curious why methodology and, and maturity haven't been you know, a bigger, a, a bigger aspect of this. Do, do you have any thoughts there? Yeah. I, I don't know if I have any profound thoughts in that, in, but engineers who are dealing with this, they like talking about um, concrete things that solve concrete problems rather than this kind of, you know, abstract, you know, process and methodology stuff. It's kind of like, you know, process and methodology stuff is something that, like MBAs come in and do, right? They, they come in and do a SWOT analysis, right? Or something like that. And you're like, your most engineers relationship with the SWOT analysis is like how like Guilfoyle and the Silicon Valley show interact with him, you know, um, no, know that reference. So I think there's like some level of skepticism towards these more like high level abstract think PC ways of approaching things. Um, but, you know, but in, you know, they'll ask, people will ask like, hey, you know, there's kind of like a know it when you see it, like feeling for people and they're like, oh, this technology feels native in the modern data stack. So I try to listen to those users and, you know, kind of abstract away the general or not abstract away, abstract out the general principles that apply there. But I think it's kind of a dispositional thing where, you know, the people who engage in this space are pretty, you know, by engineering in general are quite literal usually and very value, value and thing oriented. Right. Well, and you know, I think that makes a lot of sense. And you have a particular thing you're trying to accomplish and you're like, well, what's the tool that helps me do that? Right. It's like, right. I, I need to get data from A to B. It's like, oh, that sounds like it's time for an ETL tool, my friend. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
But so I want to dig into the software. It, the modern data stack has a software engineering mindset when it comes to data. But there is processes around software engineering, right? So, so I mean, yeah, okay, you don't do a SWOT analysis when you're doing software engineering, but I mean, you still have a process of how you comment and how you do peer review, how you're checking code, CICD, all that stuff. And I think we are seeing that inside of the modern data stack, right? All the work on data ops and data observability and all these things, right? To go see if things are breaking or not. But, um, but I feel that we that we that we have some methodology in there, but. But then sometimes we just like, just give me the next, I just want to go solve this problem and just get the next tool about it. And then that's going to kind of expand to more, more, more of these blocks that we're going to see in Matt's Turk thing. Right. Tomorrow, right. Like, well, I, I'm, I'm trying to solve this very specific problem. So I'm going to create this new tool about it, but we're not zooming out and realize, well, I mean, it was really about, it wasn't a technology problem. You're solving it with technology. It was something about just, if we defined a methodology, a process around this, you didn't have to go reinvent a bunch of stuff again. Yeah, I think your 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 example is interesting, which is code review and source control, which I think most engineers would often describe primarily in terms of the tools they use as opposed to the process, because the process and the tools are interlinked, right? So, you know, it's like of course we use GitHub or some other tool for code review, but they think of it as a tool, not a process. So I think that <clears throat> That's like an aspect of this that's going on, um, you know. And so I think like for engineers, like tools and process are completely interlinked um, and inseparable in people's minds. Um, that's interesting to go see that that for and that mind the the mindset of a software engineer, right? That even though you can see it as two different things, process and technology, it's just been done very nicely that they actually seem the same thing even though you are having a process and the technology and both processes work together very nicely exactly and I think that's not always the case when it comes to data right um so one thing you haven't set up to now like we were talking about all these different technologies i mean we mentioned the, the cloud data warehouse and all that stuff and reverse etl catalog and lineage where does orchestration come into this, is this yeah that's a great that's a great question so I was actually on a different podcast. Apologies, I'm cheating on you. The, uh, I was on a different podcast a couple of weeks ago uh, alongside uh, Scott from Brooklyn Data. And he was describing a, a data platform with, uh, without orchestration. It's like a bunch of kids in a sandbox and they're not even talking to each other. They're just doing their own thing. But what you really needed to do is coordinate and uh, work together. And that's really where orchestration comes in. So in my mind, you know, orchestration is, you know, there's a couple things you need to do. One is you want to add operational robustness to your existing tools. So without an orchestrator, what's interesting is that we've kind of regressed in the modern data. We're talking about the modern data stack mostly. You know, if someone's using Fivetran, DBT Cloud, and a reverse ETL tool, they're now stuck in a world where they have overlapping cron jobs, right? Where you just have to like hope and pray that one works after the other. If something goes wrong, you have no tool where you can debug things across those tools. You have three sandbox operational tools and you're like scratching through logs and each of them and figuring out, wait, was the error in the previous tool? You have no like single pane of operational glass. That's a problem. The data isn't as up to date as you want. And then God forbid, 
you want to do a computation which cannot be expressed in Fivetran or a reverse ETL tool or SQL, you can't, what do you do, right? You have to write some code, yeah. you know, yeah, you have to write some code to do any, any number of things. So this is really where orchestration comes in. You know, I'd like to say that the orchestration really comes in when you need to start assembling your modern data stack into a platform where there's a single kind of, you know, operational plane of glass. You want things to be more robust and you need to use a heterogeneous tool set. Um, and so that's really when it comes into play. So, so you're so with the modern data stack, we're building a platform, and we can we can start really simple. Where I mean, if I'm just counting how many users and what are their metrics and stuff like that, and it doesn't need to be up to date immediately in real time, like yeah, I can just put this stuff together. That's fine. But the moment where I'm, I'm starting to expand, and the moment where um, just there's just more complexity about how things need to go flow and you need to have more security about like, I mean, security in the sense that I want to make sure that this stuff is actually working and, and, and all that. That's where the orchestration is basically the glue of putting everything together. But, totally. but it doesn't, I mean, it, it's not one of the first things that happened. It may not be the second. It's something that's going to happen when, once you start getting a more complex ecosystem. I think so. Um, you know, but I think it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like building you know, I think it's a critical building block and I think not incorporating it early, you set yourself up for pain later. To me, it's kind of like, oh, we're not gonna like, we're working in a programming in a programming language, but we're not gonna use classes for now because it's like over-engineering for now. It's like, well, actually you should probably like use the building blocks you're gonna use from day one so you can build your stuff more properly. Um, and I think it's also the type of thing where when you start using a high quality orchestration platform, you kind of like can't remember life without it. You're like, wait, I had to like go into two different tools to debug something. Like, like I think that, you know, with the right combination, it should be with, you know, in my opinion, the reason why orchestrators haven't been used earlier in the development lifecycle of platforms in general is that they've been really difficult to spin up. They take a lot of like operational overhead and there, so therefore, like the cost benefit ratio kind of like moved down farther in the maturity cycle, but there's still benefit to adopting it. So a lot of what we've been focusing on at Dagster is kind of making the spin up super easy, making it super lightweight, just like writing code, then building a managed service. Um, and so that, um, and we'll actually be announcing that tomorrow more broadly, early access to our cloud platform. Promise I won't make this whole thing a sales pitch, but um, you know, but I think it's like, to summarize, I think it's like, I think it actually is super useful quite early Dreams. in the life cycle of a data platform. And that one of the, the reasons why it's been kind of late adopters is that kind of incumbents like Airflow have been so, you know, burdensome to adopt oh, that you have to really reach like a high, you know, there has to be like a cutoff point um, or, you know, a high bar, so to speak, to get enough value out of it. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I like your way of approaching that, that like orchestration has a ton of benefit. And if it was easier, if the if the bar to start doing orchestration could be sort of, you know, hurdled over in an easier way more quickly, then it actually makes sense to bring it earlier on your sort of modern data stack journey. Yeah. Um, 
I think that's a good takeaway. And I, honestly, the a thought that comes to mind a little bit is like in some of the earlier days of infrastructure as code, right? Where, you know, po- folks were starting to kick the tires on things like Chef and Puppet and things like that. And they were like, oh, well, when you get to the point of so much complexity that you really need that, like make sure you refactor all your code to be like infrastructure as code. But now it's like, well, of course you're going to like start with Terraform from the get go and things like that, right? Like it's interesting how, you know, things get easier, they they get involved sooner. Yeah, and another analogy here is actually kind of from my previous life with GraphQL. Um, you know, the early GraphQL, the, like the co-creators, we used to often go around and kind of say, oh, you know, like if you're using kind of like maybe start with REST and then, you know, move to GraphQL if things get more complex. And we got a ton of pushback from our community on that because they're like, listen, you are making our job so much harder. Like, just tell people to use GraphQL from day one. Like, it ends up with better systems. It's not that much, like... Like you're underselling it. It's not much more difficult to use or anything. In fact, I think it's easier. You know, we got a ton of pushback that it's just like, just start using what you're going to use from day one. Cause it has all these implications around the tools and processes built around it, you know? And so the cost of undoing it, even like a month later is actually quite high. Um, and I think orchestration properly conceived will be like that, or it's just like, it's just, it's just what you do, right? Because even if you just have right. two tools, having overlapping cron makes no sense. Things should run or, after right. each other, you know? Right, and then you don't have to migrate later, and that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, this whole conversation uh, has me thinking a little bit, though, about, like, you know, it's not always as clear how to get started on this modern data stack journey uh, to do things right and to get these tools implemented if you're a larger company or you have a more complicated environment, you know, is is modern data stack kind of just really for the, the the smaller companies or the younger companies that are earlier on their journey? I don't think so, but it, it kind of depends on if you're it kind of goes back to the original premise of the discussion, which is like, is it a methodology or a very narrowly prescribed set of technologies? Um, and so that's what I think is interesting. Like, should companies, to use the framing of like, move to the cloud, move to manage services and apply software engineering mindset to their data processes? I would say yes, you can call it the modern data stack or not, um, but that's like an undeniable win. And then you also see companies incrementally adopting technologies in the modern data stack within their organizations um, as well. So, um, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. And then the other thing that, you know, like, like for example, one of the reasons why Snowflake's doing so well is that they're doing such a great job of lifting and shifting workloads from on-premises data warehouses to them. You know, they were kind of playing a different game the whole time where I think a lot of engineers in the Valley would be like, oh, you're going to get people to migrate from Hadoop to Snowflake. It's like, guys, like people... 99% of the world is still on their like on-premises data warehouse and have no ability to use Hadoop at all. Like they're like jumping straight right. ahead. So people I think are, it's people be are using similar. Oracle and Teradata, et cetera, et cetera, right? <laughs> exactly. So um, yeah, I think that there's going to be a similar, you know, there's going to be a similar thing because as people adopt the cloud data warehouses, then they have the same problems as everyone else. They're going to be grabbing for the next tool. So I think that these technologies, the the shift towards this style of data infrastructure is inexorable, uh, both for Greenfield and existing uh, companies. 
So I, I really like how you taught, how you, how you said basically that this is not just for the smaller companies, right? Old, older legacy companies call it. Uh, yes. You can use the modern data stack. If your goal is to move to the cloud, right? You want to manage services and you want to be able to apply software engineering principles to the data. If that's what you're, that's, if that's what you want to go do. Then yeah, you can get on the modern data stack. Like that, that it's, it's not just for smaller companies who are growing. I think that's a really good way of, of thinking about that. And which leads me kind of, I think, our, our initial question here is: Is this just a list of technologies, or is there a methodology? I think it, the answer is both. But the but the question here now is: What are the do's and the don'ts? Like, so I think there's two things. One, we've already talked. If we have a smaller, if you're a smaller company, right, you're just growing. You're probably going to do the simplest thing: just count things, and you're going to. You don't need all this stuff. I think that part of that methodology is you choose the. There's like a a minimal. A simple, minimal, modern data stack that you—that's that's the minimal thing you got to do, right? The, the four things I think, right? The cloud, the the, the warehouse, the the DBT, the ENDL, and then the analytics, right? That's the minimal. And then part of the methodology is depending on the use cases, you would want to go do a reverse ETL or want to have more catalog and so forth. So that's one thing. But then when when it comes to more of the let's call it older legacy companies, what are the do's and the don'ts for them to start in that modernization process? How do you how, how what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, to me, the important, what I have learned through my years but is that having incremental process in place so that every stage of a migration and moving from one te technology to another feels like you're just hiking up a hill rather than like jumping over a canyon, you know? Um, so always construct these migration pro processes such that there's always intermediate checkpoints. You can stop, assess, understand what's going on, that the people who are participating in the migration get value as early as possible so that they can see the promised land as opposed to being promised like, oh, in two years, life is going to be better. So, you know, I like to call this evolutionary means for revolutionary ends. Um, it's a talk I give about changing um, software architectures in place. So, you know, have a strategy, have a high level vision, but have an incremental process that you can stop and check and make sure that things are on track and then deliver value to your stakeholders as early as possible in the process. I think that that's a very sound advice and then actually very good life advice too, right? <laughs> Well, it, it fits very well with some of the things that, that show up on our show a lot around like don't boil the ocean, take a use case first approach. You know, can you iterate your way to value here? And, you know, are, are those some of the key tenets you would point to here for sort of a modern data stack methodology? And is there anything you would add to that? Um, yeah, I mean, we were talking about migration process. I think that, you know, one, one movement. So uh, there's a fellow named Chris Berg, who is the CEO, I think he calls himself the head chef. They love these cooking analogies. At, at, at data, data, at data Kitchen. At Data yeah, he's, Kitchen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's been a guest. Yeah. He's so what's interesting is that I, I think that his work and his definition of data ops, um, and, you know, he's like been pushing the data ops manifesto and, um, all this stuff and the, what he said very early on resonated with me a lot. Um, 
And he really talked about the software engineeringification of data. That's kind of like, he's like, analytics is code. That was his mantra. And I really think that a lot of, you know, data ops has become such a buzzy term that there's tons of different definitions of it. And I think it's like hard to grasp onto, but really I think that the ideas in data ops have really been kind of co-opted in the modern data stack, um, like um, uh, <laughs> the modern data stack kind of wave. So the, the entire software engineering mindset, let me give you, let me put some meat on some bones there. So what do I mean by software engineering mindset? The most direct example is kind of like the one of the crown jewels of the modern data stack, which is DBT. And the whole, the whole point of DBT is making analysts analytics engineers. They are getting analysts who used to write SQL and save them in files on their desktop to use Git and make their kind of analytics work product part of a software engineering process. Um, that it is like, in my view, like the ultimate data ops technology and the Chris Berg framing of the term. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that, that, that's kind of my take on that. This, this is a good, uh... Uh, a, a good. I mean, I'm going to pin this right. Minute, minute, thirty-two and uh, forty second. I, that was a really good uh, analogy you did right there in that definition. I really like this. How, especially what DBT is such a very popular thing. Which kind of quick parentheses. We're having a special catalog and cocktails uh, uh, next week, uh, doing the DBT Coalesce uh, Happy Hour edition. So this is a good. Uh, so the official happy hour is going to be a catalog and cocktails podcast. So, and and, and I think that's one of the big things is that DBT is such it's such a popular hot thing right now, but because it does this very simple, small thing in a way a very powerful, and it makes a huge impact is take those analytics as code and you're empowering these, the, the, this entire workforce who does a bunch of all technical work on SQL and just adding the software engineering practices. And I think, I think that's another big kind of, uh, theme that we're having right now in this discussion is that this is all about having bringing in those well-defined practices of software engineering into data something that we just have never done i mean up to now i mean i think history will go off and we'll, and we'll see this whole modern data stack like what was it it's in, if there is one thing that we're going to define that the modern data stack changed the world was literally bringing in these software engineering practices into data. And I think that's what's going to make sure that we're going to have a better uh, world of data instead of all the crap that we have to go through right now, just because we just didn't have good, didn't have any practices around data. Um, anyways, that's my, my, my little aha moment here. <laughs> no, I yeah. It. I mean, you, you, you got me all fired up. I was just, I was just taking that in. Uh, <laughs> absorbing it um you know one, one thing this brings up for me uh and you know nick interesting in your way in on it we've, we've discussed this similar topic with a few other of our guests is that when you say what you said about dbt right about how you know it's it's turning the sequel that analysts were writing into something that's like now it's a github project you're wrapping it with cicd you're applying software best practices to it right like to me, I feel like this is part of like a codification movement. Like things are becoming more code oriented, more software engineering oriented. So that's one thing. And then on the other hand, you've got this movement to like no code, low code, 
drag and droppy type interfaces? You know, how do we start to take like the, the, the every man and the every woman and turn them into a, an engineer, right? And like, to me, these things, they feel like they're pulling in different directions. And, the, and, and I know there's some overlap there, right, in terms of how they could work together. But like, what is your thought process on that? Does one of these things win? Do they find a way? Do we find a way to get oil and water to kind of mix together? So it depends on the answer to this question. And so the answer, the, the question is, what is your definition of low code? The, the, do you want the, me to take a stab at that and just yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that interplace? I don't and, have and a good Juan, feel free to saying. give a different definition. No, you, different yeah, you go, you go first. Uh, and and for, for me, it's the user experience paradigm, right? It, it is, can you make it so that something, so that you don't have to write the code? Right. And, and maybe I'm already implying what maybe the marriage can be here. Right. But like right. You know, if I can if I can drag and drop and say, I want this to join with this and I want this to be the outcome and I'm never having to write join and where and select and things like that. Like to me, the no code experience, low code experience is like I don't want to program. Right. So and, and I, just, I just want to say because ahead, ahead. a couple of days, two episodes, we had Cindy Housen. Uh, from ThoughtSpot, and we actually got into this conversation about low code and no code. And she's and and she's very, I would say, low code, no code, uh, positive proponent about it. Uh, and I'm I'm very skeptical about it because I'm just afraid that we're gonna. It, it works for all the kind of general cases, but then the world is not just one simple case. There's all these corner cases, and then then you're not going to be able to go deal with those. So then you're just going to hack up some stuff and then you're going to not have good practices around it. But her definition was just, you just want easier ways to go answer questions and like Tableau drag and dropping. I mean, that's a low code and, and thought works for ThoughtSpot. And she's like, there's a but low thought spot is a way of doing, answering questions. I, she would consider ThoughtSpot, for example, a low code or no code way of answering questions. And given that definition, I mean, that, that's, I, I agree with that. And, and, but at some point, you want to get into more of the details and that's when you won't be able to satisfy it with these low code, no code approaches. Yeah. So <clears throat> that all makes sense. I, I think there is definitely a space for low code, no code solutions. There's a few requirements. One is they have to be composable with other tools. Um, so I think historically when people think low code, no code, they think of these completely siloed systems that are not composable at all and try to reinvent the entire world, right? Take your example though, Tim, of just a drag and drop tool that effectively in the end generates a SQL statement, right? There's, no, there's nothing to prevent you from writing that tool and then literally it saves a file and then the entire software development process takes over and it runs through a CICD pipeline and all that stuff. And that's what I mean by composable meaning that the tool that you described that would just generate a SQL statement, or maybe a SQL statement like in some sort of context, but at its core, that's what it's doing. That can be incorporated into a software engineering process and be composed in other tools. So I think there's general, generally a space for doing that, like a modern data stack native low code, no code solution that can interface with the other tools reasonably well. And then the other critical component is that one of those tools, like the goal should be that it solves like 90% of the use cases, but not like the last 10% where you have to punch through it and allow like, say, like imagine that some, there's some low code tool where a business user has been able to scratch together a 
you know, 70 stage pipeline out of kind of prefab components, but there's this one step in the middle that is just too bespoke and too custom and there's no other way to do it. By making it composable, meaning like have an engineer be able to like write that one and then kind of publish it to that business user so they can plop that in. So you can kind of have to be part of an integrated platform instead of this complete silo that's way over here, if that makes sense. Um, so I, 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 pre I, I fully agree, but for that, basically the whole low code, no code is just a higher level abstraction. And we need to be able to go make sure that we can compile that down to something that we can actually go use. So, so because that, that that's a, something that scares me too is that you'll have all these apps. And I'm like, well, I you, you did all this work, but I I, I want to go edit it afterwards, right? Yeah, right. need to be able to go use that work outside. If it's either I want to go edit it myself, and then that can go, I can go compile it or, or bring it up to the higher level abstraction. So I think that's something very that's crucial. That goes back into your composability. I mean, yep. I. I all the, I mean, query languages. I mean, SQL is a beautiful language because it's all composable, right? Tables in and tables come out. I can go use this very easily. I think that's something that uh, when it comes to declarative languages is something that changed the way how we think about computation. So I uh, fully agree with this, that the composability is key for low code and no code to be successful. I'm going on, a, I went on another rant. <laughs> that was a very well-reasoned discussion. <laughs> Well, I, I, there's another thing we wanted to touch on uh, before we get into our lightning round question is when it comes to all these tools and we started talking about the uh, Matt Turk's uh, diagram and everything, how much consolidation do you think is going to happen in this space? Oh, boy. That's uh, the uh, bajillion dollar question, I guess, here. Um I think it, I think it has to. It's just a question of what type of consolidation and if it's a way that's beneficial for um, users. Again, um, to <clears throat> I'm going to invoke from the uh, gospel of Ben Stansel again, um, which is he described that what's needed is a data OS sort of, and a good analogy is kind of like the way that your apps get structured on your phone meaning that there's still a huge amount of heterogeneity and room for innovation, but it's within like a, a confines or a structure that makes it comprehensible rather than just like stitching together things from all over the place. So I think there will be some consolidation, but not in the way that like, uh, like Databricks and Snowflake want it. I mean, maybe it will end up like that, but I don't think that's a good outcome for users where effectively one of those two becomes a new Oracle. Right. They're both kind of there's this titanic battle that's happening between Snowflake and Databricks where they both want to become the Oracle of the cloud, meaning like a the, one stop the monolith, shop, the new monolith. So I think there needs to be simplification and consolidation, but without siloed monolithic architectures where like early in your career, you have to say, like, I'm a Snowflake person and I can't work anything else like that sucks. You know, it's kind of going back in time when like. There was like Oracle people and Microsoft people. Um, and I don't think that's great. So I'm a big fan of open standards that kind of can span those vendors. Um, now, how, call it consolidation, call it unification, call it simplification. But something has to happen in order to um, start to make sense of this world, <laughs> so to speak. And I do think that, um, and we'll see how that plays out. 
I have my own theories about that, but we, um, you know, I think that there will be a unified data management platform um, where you can plug in different solutions for different kind of subcomponents of it, whether it's data quality or lineage or whatever. But, um, but yeah, I will end my uh, wand to use your word rant. <laughs> well, um, let me let me go follow up on this. Um, so. Kind of connecting a lot of dots of previous conversations, we had uh, uh, Andy Palmer from Tamer, I think, last or last episode, and, and he's totally the monolith is dead, and 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 I I can imagine that you can see a, a snowflake trying to consolidate and trying to make that one stop shop, right? The the modern Oracle in the cloud type of thing, and 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 some people's like, I just want to have one thing, and I don't deal with everything. That's probably yeah. There's reasons on that, but then. If you don't, if we're not going to go down that route, then we need to have things need to go work together, talk to talk to each other, and I think standardization is something that is going to be key there. I think so. I ask myself, what does standardization around the modern data stack look like? And this is something uh, I've, I've seen talks and I've actually uh, had some conversations with Bob Muglia, right, the former CEO of, of, of Snowflake, and he is so. I mean, he is he is really betting on we need. Uh, the metrics layer, which is another thing I'd love to go talk about, uh, and standardizations and and knowledge graphs. Like those are the three things that he's focusing on. And but it's 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 kind of easier said than done. And we always think about that XKCD comic, right? You got 14 standards. We need one standard to go rule them all. We got 15 standards, right? So how much of that is actually going to happen? I mean, is it is it just going to be like little cohorts of folks? Like we work great together. Is there really going to be a standard a standard a standard that's going to connect all types of modern data stack tools through metadata, or we're just kind of we're just trying we're just I don't know not thinking about this, but it's really not going to happen, and we're just going to see uh, Informatica 2.0 coming around, which is going to go buy all these companies and investors are putting money all over the places, right? And they're just you know what? Let's just consolidate and. That's how we make our money. I mean, not a question here. There's just a big, another big rant. So let me throw it Yeah, out. no, I, I mean, I think it's going to be, it's going to be a very interesting five to 10 years. Let's put it that way. And because I think there's a bunch of different potential world states about how things cohere and consolidate. And it's effectively impossible to predict right now because it's too complicated. And, um, you know, to tell my own wares, I think that orchestration is a natural place, a pivot to leverage around that because by its nature, it is the thing in the stack that touches everything else. Like you cannot exist really within a data platform without an orchestration because orchestration layer because the orchestration layer determines like where some, all data comes from somewhere and goes somewhere, right? Like fundamentally. And the orchestrator is like at the heart of that. So I have my own theories around that obviously. But there's a lot of other, like people can say like, hey, it's gonna be the data catalog that unifies everything. Or other people will say like, actually the cloud data warehouse, it actually makes sense for them to build a silo. Cause like that's where all the data is going. And you can know stuff there. Um, metrics layer is a candidate. So, you know, we'll see. <laughs> I don't have any- um, no, this, this, is, this is super interesting. You're saying like the orchestration technically touches everything. The catalog also is touching everything. Um, and and it, it may seem kind of a natural thing is if you're touching everything, you're already a candidate to go 
uh, ha- you're be very opinionated about how these things should be connecting together. Because if if I'm if I'm tool A or tool B, well, I have my opinions about tool A, and I talk more to tool B. But you probably don't know what happens in tool D and E and F and so forth, right? But right. the orchestration, the catalog does talk to all these things. So um, I, I know we're non salesy here, but let me take a little bit of a liberty around this. Is it up to folks like? you and me and i mean a uh, 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 elemental and data world or something to say let's because we're we have the experience of touching all these different tools we're the ones who should be, who'd be who had that strong point of view what a standard could look like about this yeah so i think that in a lot of domains and data right now um working on standards is kind of putting the cart before the horse because to me the precondition for a standard is proving value um So in a lot of these domains, like, I don't know if we know the best way to do cataloging or lineage or orchestration, you know, like we just don't, like, we have a bunch of different people with their own thesis around things. But, um, you know, to me, like the standards should um, kind of, you know, there's like a proper process with building open standards. And the first thing is you have to prove the core underlying value of it, that actually works and you know, and I think if you try to standardize stuff too early, you kind of hamstring yourself um, and don't have enough flexibility. You know, like like to the GraphQL analogy, right? We came out with GraphQL as an open standard, but we had worked on it for three years inside of Facebook um, and built the whole company's infrastructure around it. So we at least had like one data point of like, yeah, it works for, it works here. And then we moved on to standardization. Um, so, you know, I think for a lot of these kind of tool domains and data, we're still figuring it out. Um, and, you know, I think there's a process that goes along with it. That makes sense. And I think this has given us a lot to think about because, you know, we're thinking about how things fit together. We're thinking about they, how they evolve. This is the beginning of lots of thinking and lots of conversations to come about how things should move forward. And uh, hey, Nick, it's been exciting to chat about how this can evolve together because I think there's a lot, uh, there's a lot of moving pieces and also a lot of exciting opportunity here. So totally, yeah, well, it's think, never uh, been more exciting to work in this domain. There's just so much activity. There's so many smart people. I think also people are very open minded to change right now, which is very exciting. You know, yeah, um, there's a there's a there's an opportunity at this moment where people yeah. are looking for new approaches, new tool sets. I mean. <laughs> Like you look at something like DBT, right? Could DBT have been as successful six or seven years ago? You know, I don't know, right? It feels like the conditions might actually be in a better place for something like that to get adopted today after, you know, the whole Hadoop movement happened after some of these things have happened, right? Yeah, I totally agree. I think there's also like an influx of another dynamic here that's kind of opening up the space is that companies are so desperate for data engineering, data engineers that they're kind of like, moving folks laterally um, over. Uh, I saw this happen in front end 10 years ago when people kind of more like mainline normal engineers kind of moved into JavaScript and front end to make sense of that world. And then all sorts of interesting innovation came out of that. I think a similar thing's happening in data right now. Like we talked to lots of people who were are looking for a solution for orchestration and they kind of find Dax and like, wow, this like makes kind of sense to me because they came from more traditional software engineering domain. Um, and it just is intuitive for them. <clears throat> so, and I think it's happening all over the place. So yeah, it's super exciting. 
Oh man, uh, we need to keep talking. There's so much we can keep talking about, but we need to go wrap this up now. And, and uh, I'm going to go into our honest, no BS lightning round. Um, I, I will kick it off. So, yes or no? All right. Is the modern metadata stack separate from the modern data stack? No. Oh, okay. Uh, am I saying why? Go, 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 quick. If you want to add a little context, yeah, please. Oh, yeah. I just think that I think metadata is so core to companies' internal data platforms that it's inseparable. It's like, you know, chips without salsa. You know, I don't know what the right analogy is. But anyway, it's just you you need both. So they're intrinsic to each other. Yeah. Um, question two, is the modern data stack kind of a pipe dream for large legacy data stack companies? No, I don't think so, because I think there is space. We see this a lot in terms of, I'll call it greenfield within brown brownfield, meaning that new projects with new teams who are empowered to kind of make their own infrastructure choices within the context of a larger enterprise. Um, there's much more flexibility around that now. All right, next. Is data load, the E and the L, the data warehouse, DBT as the T, and BI tools, the core of the metadata stack? The that's the initial yeah that's like the initial core you start with for now all right for now. Away, that's, that's a that's a fun way to end that statement <laughs> <laughs> um and then uh last lightning round question here you know we talked a lot about like sort of standards and interoperability and things like that will dbt become that lingua franca um I don't think so, because I think there's a large number of analytics use cases that can't be described with SQL. Okay. That's a, that's a smart stipulation. Yep. Well, it's uh, our TTTT. Uh, Tim takes it away with takeaways first. <laughs> yeah, sure. First so. This is the part where we get to tell you, uh, Nick, if, if, if we got all the right takeaways here. So first of all, um, you know, the modern data stack, we really talked about at its core being sort of this, this the E of the L, the data warehouse, the T, uh, and the BI. But then there's all these other aspects that are really interesting around it, such as orchestration, such as catalogs, such as so on and so forth, right? Uh, machine learning, AI, et cetera. Um, but you sort of talked about a process here, right? The first thing you do is you're kind of, you're counting things. You're, you're implementing your basic metrics. Uh, then maybe you're trying to figure out how you can take some of these metrics and push it back into some other systems, right? Maybe that's where like things like reverse ETL come to play. You're trying to get smarter about your data. Now you're evolving from descriptive analytics to prescriptive or predictive type analytics, uh, and your company is growing in size, it's getting more complicated, your data use cases and, and quantity and complexity are getting more complicated. Okay, you need, you know, catalog, you need lineage, you need monitoring, you need all these different things, right? Um, so it, there's a process here, there's a methodology behind all of these different technologies. Um, and ultimately, uh, you talked about how the methodology has to be incremental. Uh, you said, you know, you want to hike up a hill, instead of jumping over a cannon, uh, a canyon. Uh, and uh, you, you said evolutionary means for revolutionary ends, which I think is a, a great phrase there and, and one I hope to, to use. And uh, I actually have a little backlog of T-shirts that I'm trying to create for cataloging cocktails. Uh, I might have to coordinate with you on whether or not we can stick, uh, stick that quote on a T-shirt. <laughs> I'm down. 
All right. I, I got my, my takeaways here. So first of all, the modern data stack, it's this, uh, it's uh, this natural evolution that a company goes through, right? And it's core thing is about bringing software engineering practices into data. We're, we, we are in this process of reinventing the data ecosystems, going to the cloud and your, your warehouse or lake houses at the center, all these key things around it. I love your def, uh, another definition. Modern data stack is hip, it's hipster data people for the hipster data people. I love that. Uh, and it's just, it started as a stack, but it is evolving into some methodology. Uh, so when, we, when we talk about, if, is it just for smaller companies? The answer is no. I mean, if you're moving to the cloud and you're man, you want to go to work with managed services, you're thinking about adding software engineering principles of data. doesn't matter if you're small or large, whatever, you're part of the modern data stack. So the, those legacy companies can do it too. And when it comes to consolidation and, and, and I like how you said it, call it consolidation, unification, standardization, whatever it does, it needs to be simple. Is it going to, is there going to be a unified data management platform? Is that going to be a monolithic or a bunch of players working together? I mean, it's still really early. We're figuring this out. We can't put the cart in front of the horse around this. Uh, but Hey, there, there's, there's tools or aspects of the modern data stack that connect to everything like orchestration and cataloging. And they'll have a lot to say about that. How do we do? Good summary. I thought it was great. You guys have really been paying attention to all my, you know, all what I've been spewing, which I appreciate. <laughs> well, this is this has been a fascinating discussion, and I'm really excited to to actually meet you in person, hopefully one day, and and, and have keep having this conversation and have this conversation live. So, I want to throw it back to you. Finally, uh, two questions: advice. What's your advice about data, about life, or whatever? And second, who should we invite next? So guest suggestions. I was thinking about this before the show. Um, and, you know, I think you, I hear lots of vendors and tool authors on these shows all the time. And I think we should talk to more power users um, about the problems they're trying to solve. And um, an early user, Dagster, who also was a dev advocate in his previous life, this guy named David Wallace, who works at Dutchie, um, actually, I think would be someone who comes to mind if I have interesting takes on it, but from the standpoint of someone who's trying to solve problems, not pitch a tool. Um, and I think that's like a perspective that's often overlooked um, in kind of the podcast sphere. Uh, so, um, so both an individual human and a general guest classification suggestion. Love that. In, yeah. In terms of advice, huh? What is an important piece of advice? Can you narrow anything? anything. You want to narrow I mean, a domain? Besides, start with have orchestration. I guess that's a good piece of advice. <laughs> uh, anything, anything. Yeah, I guess this is going to probably be cheesy, but the um, optimize for the people around you in your life, both um, in your personal life and your work life. Um, I'm very blessed to, we, we, we literally had an all hands five minutes before it ended five minutes before I hopped on this show. And, uh, it's, uh, I'm really proud of the team we've built and the people on it. And it's just a joy to work with them all. And it makes us all this so much more fun. So, um, yeah, I'm optimized for the people that you spend time with. It's not less, you know, not as much about money and status and all that stuff. Love it. Nick, thank That's you so advice. much. 
Appreciate it. And just quickly, next week, we got a lot of stuff. It's DBT Coalesce. Uh, we're having the official happy hour. It's going to be an ep a special episode of Catalan and Cocktails with Claire Look and Mitish Karia from the Zebra. And that's going to be on Tuesday live at 2 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Central. I'm also going to be at the Data Governance and Information Quality Conference live. And we're going to do some live talking to folks at uh, in-person conference. Uh, live that sounds like a rager. <laughs> that's going to be interesting. And then next week is going to be Kelly Wright, the president and CEO of Gong, and was a former VP of sales at Tableau. And we're going to have a lot of under conversation about data and analytics. Nick, cheers. Cheers. Thank you so much. Great time. Thanks so this much for joining us. This is Catalog and Cocktails. Don't forget to subscribe, rate,